Hey friends, and thank you for joining me on the Unknown Friends podcast once again. Welcome to today's book review, episode 15 of season two. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wan Productions, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so as not to miss it when we post our weekly episodes every Wednesday. And you can also access more content for as little as $2 a month by becoming a patron through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash unknownfriends. Now, I won't explain the details since I already did last week, but I will just remind you that two bonus episodes, G.K. Chesterton readings, which I have shared with all my patrons, are available only through this Friday. Uh, Their accessibility expires on Saturday, May 1st, so be sure to get on Patreon and listen before this Saturday if you're interested in those bonus read-alouds. Now, on to this week's book. Alas, Babylon, written by Pat Frank and published in 1959. I have been looking forward to talking about this book, not because it's the greatest book I've ever read, by any stretch of the imagination, but because it's very different from most books I read, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. Uh, So I will share some quick author background first. Pat Frank was an American writer born in 1908 in Chicago, and he was actually named Harry Frank, but he always went by the nickname Pat. He uh, grew up and then for two years went to the University of Florida, but dropped out in order to start working as a journalist. He worked in New York and then in Washington, and eventually became assistant chief of the Office of War Information, and was a highly respected war correspondent in Europe during World War II. After the war, he left full-time journalism behind him and settled down to writing fiction for some years. He wrote several novels, as well as one screenplay, and a couple nonfiction books as well. And he also served as a government consultant at times. He was regarded as an expert on nuclear technology, which is what he mostly wrote about in his nonfiction, and it enters his, his fiction as well. Alas, Babylon was Frank's last novel, released in 1959, um, written when he was living in Florida for a time, and then just five years later in 1964, he passed away in Florida. So that's a very quick look at his life, and really, Alas, Babylon is what he's known for. Most of his other work has fallen into obscurity, uh, but this novel was popular in its time and has remained popular and well-respected in its genre of science fiction, or more specifically, uh, post-nuclear war or post-apocalyptic science fiction. So let me tell you very quickly how I came across this novel, Um, because while Alas Babylon is rather famous in its subgenre, I had never heard of it until earlier this year. Uh, What happened was that I had actually just read Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, which I reviewed back in March, and I was reading about the author of that novel, Robert C. O'Brien, and trying to learn about his other books since I had enjoyed Mrs. Frisbee. 
And um, as I mentioned, I think in my review, O'Brien's second best known work is Z for Zachariah, which is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel about a girl who is one of the only survivors of an international nuclear war. Well, I was looking into this novel a little bit and reading reviews to see what other readers thought of it, and a lot of people were sort of unenthusiastic about it, and one person, at least, if not multiple people, said, don't read this book, but read Alas, Babylon instead. And I was like, Alas, Babylon, never heard of it. What is this? So I looked it up, um, read some reviews, and... It sounded pretty interesting and different from a lot of books I read, so I thought, hey, let's try it. And I did, and it was pretty interesting. And so now I get to share it with you all. And uh, the moral of this backstory, by the way, is one good method for discovering new books is to follow the trails left by readers' reviews. Often, and I do this too, reviewers, when they're discussing one book, will compare it to other books that they think are similar or even better. Uh, like last year when I was discussing A uh, Room with a View, I think it was, and I could not stop comparing it to Henry James's novel, The Portrait of a Lady. So just a tip, read reviews, not only of books you have not read, but also of books you have already read and enjoyed, because you may find reviews that clue you into similar books, which you can add to your reading list. So, Alas, Babylon. This was one of the first novels ever to imagine what life in America might be like in the aftermath of nuclear war. So this was the 50s. We were in the Cold War, and in America there was strong fear of the Soviet Union and fear of potential nuclear warfare. Um, so the basic premise of this novel is that nuclear war does break out between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, and uh, the book explores what happens to the community of one small town in central Florida as they try to survive the consequences. So the first quarter or, or maybe third of the book takes place before war breaks out. We meet the main characters, get to know the town of Fort Repose, Florida, and we learn of the imminent threat of nuclear war. Our hero's name is Randy, Randy Bragg, and his brother Mark is an Air Force intelligence officer based in Nebraska. And so he is, you know, um, on the inside and knows more than most people about the possibility of an attack from the Soviet Union. Um, but until Mark warns him, Randy is pretty laid back, um, living even an aimless life in Fort Repose. He previously served in the Korean War and is in the Army Reserve. He recently ran for office but lost, and he's been through a few girlfriends in recent years, um, but is pretty interested currently in his neighbor, Lib McGovern, um, who he's been going out with. But he's, he's just not got a ton of purpose in life right now. And by the way, when we first meet him, he's having a glass of whiskey before breakfast, so that, that tells you a little something. Anyway, in chapter one... Randy gets a telegram from his brother Mark, and he learns that Mark is sending his wife and kids away from the army base in Omaha to Fort Repose because he fears an attack on Omaha. 
And Mark ends the telegram with the words, alas, Babylon. Well, Randy knows what this means. It's a phrase they used as kids when something bad was about to happen, uh, which they learned from a, a preacher who was quoting the book of Revelation. Alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Well, about a year ago, Mark and Randy had agreed that this would be their code if Mark seriously suspected an imminent Russian attack. So Randy knows now. His brother believes nuclear war is about to break out, and Randy needs to help out by protecting Mark's family, which he gladly does. So Mark's wife and kids come to stay with Randy, and Randy makes an attempt to prepare for the potential attack, i.e. he stocks up on groceries. He doesn't do a great job. <laughs> he he gets a lot of fresh meat, for instance. He gets other stuff, too. Um, he is more prepared than most people, since he has been clued into what's probably going to happen. But he does not think of everything. Anyway, it's not long after this that the first move is made somewhat by accident, and the Soviet Union launches a massive missile attack against the U.S. and its allies. Scores of big cities and military bases all around the country are just wiped out overnight. Um, around Fort Repose, Orlando is destroyed, Miami, Tampa, um, and, and so, of course, Fort Repose itself is shocked and thrown into utter confusion following the attack. Um, at first, there's fear of contamination from the surrounding nuclear strikes, though eventually it's proven that Fort Repose itself was distant enough um, that it seems to have escaped fallout from the explosions. But, of course, the town is still in chaos. Everyone is flooding the stores, um, desperately trying to buy food and supplies, and there's a run on the bank, but, of course, currency is soon going to be worthless. Um, a few people who recognize the gravity of the disaster actually commit suicide. Others are having heart attacks and, and dying just from the shock of the situation. Um, the doctor in Fort Repose, Dr. Dan Gunn, who's one of the other main characters, is nearly at his wit's end trying to meet everyone's needs at once. And soon, most of his medical supplies are stolen when drug addicts take advantage of the chaos and rob his clinic. Um, and, and convicts escape prison. It's just a massive mess. And within a couple days, Fort Repose loses electricity. So, of course, that opens up a whole slew of new problems. Communication with the world outside Fort Repose is extremely limited, and government is in turmoil. Randy and his brother's family are very fortunate to have an artesian well on their property, so the issue of getting clean drinking water is quickly solved for them, although their water tastes sulfurous. But food, of course, is soon going to be an issue. Uh, transportation is a big issue, with gasoline supplies being extremely limited. Medical supplies are a huge issue. People with conditions that require regular treatment, for instance, like, uh, like diabetics, aren't able to access the medicine they need and you know, that is, frankly, that's a, a fatal problem. So Fort Repose faces an extremely grim future. It's isolated, it's surrounded by areas contaminated by radiation, and the town itself has essentially been 
wrenched back in time centuries, and the people are thrown on their own resources. Now, Randy and his family and neighbors are considerably more fortunate than some. They have clean water, they have um, orange trees on their property, there will be corn on their land in a few months, they have chickens that provide them eggs, um, and they live on a river where they can fish. But they don't have everything they need. So we get to watch them over the course of the following year make life work and deal with shortages and conflicts of various kinds one by one as they come up. The community of Fort Repose quickly falls into a system of bartering and trading for needed supplies, since money is of no value now. But some supplies, some some shortages arise that are more serious, and, and no one local can provide what is needed. Um, lack of salt, for instance, becomes a big problem eventually. And just on top of the difficulties of basic survival, as you can imagine, not everyone in and around Fort Repose is willing to play by the same rules. So trading works for most people, but there are some folks who will take advantage of a lack of law and order to rob and murder and do absolutely whatever they want. So ultimately, Randy, who has sort of organically become not only the leader of his house and neighborhood, but also kind of by default as a member of the Army Reserve, a leader of the town itself. So he has to not only ensure the survival of his family, but must also try to establish some kind of um, authority and safety for the whole law-abiding community of Fort Repose against those who would plunder and destroy it. So as you can see, this is a survival story. It's a bit of an adventure story. Um, and if you're like me, you'll find it really fascinating how the characters cope with the unprecedented situation they find themselves in, and uh, they learn and grow through it. Now, I think I might have mentioned this at the end of last week's episode. I almost quit this book after the first chapter or two. Um, I'm glad I didn't, but there were a couple strange things in the opening chapters. Um, just a few suggestive or risque references. But that said, this was the 50s, so it's not like there's anything very explicit. Um, I just, in, in the first couple of chapters, I was not loving the main character, Randy, and was unsure whether I would be able to respect him much or, or enjoy his story. Um, there's just a reference or two that's unnecessary. And in my opinion, it's the kind of thing that just puts this novel in the category of books that are best for adults and young adults. Also, I will go ahead and mention now while I'm on the topic, there is some profanity and offensive language in the book, not tons, um, but some scattered throughout. So that is um, another reason why I don't recommend this book for kids. So all that said, why do I recommend the book for adults? Well, just on the level of a practical look at survival in a destroyed modern world, I found it super interesting. Obviously, it was written 60 years ago, so in some ways the disaster wasn't as severe then as it would be now. Uh, they didn't depend on some of the things we now depend on. 
like, you know, the internet and stuff. In so many ways, 1959 itself is now a bygone era. And so plenty of what they do in Alas Babylon wouldn't really apply today. But some of it does. And I enjoyed the detail Pat Frank went into about, you know, what kinds of supplies were necessary and what wasn't, um, what people remembered to stockpile and what they didn't, um, and how people even learned what to do after the fact when they realized they lacked something important. I I love how the library in Fort Repose becomes this hub of community and learning and even leisure. No more radio or or TV. So folks now spend both their recreational time reading and they find answers to their problems through reading. If they don't know how to fix something or find some resource, they consult the library. And more often than not, they learn how to respond to their problem. I think that's really cool. And to me, the, the renewal of reading was one of the genuinely beautiful things that comes out of this national disaster in the book. And there are others. Community has a different feel when this town is isolated from the outside world and when people really have to depend on each other and work together, literally in order to survive. So I was intrigued by this whole exploration of how Fort Repose survives and, in some important ways, thrives after the day of the disaster. Now, you could say Pat Frank's picture of the community is too optimistic, um, that it would really be an even darker situation than he paints, and that might be true. Um, But he, he openly portrays Fort Repose as a particularly fortunate location. The story says it fared better than, you know, most of the rest of the nation because of its situation, close to some important natural resources. Um, And it's not like the townspeople have it easy. But yes, you know, Frank does ultimately paint a hopeful picture of the community. um, And personally, I appreciate that, whatever others might say. Now, lastly, I just want to comment on the book's morality, which is a bit gray. This novel does not portray itself as Christian. Um, The morality of its hero and other main characters I would not call Christian. Um, So it's not a book that should teach us things about, uh, for instance, marriage or parenting or anything of that sort. It is a book about survival, and so you know, don't expect more from it than that. What is interesting, I think, about its moral compass is that we do see in Alas Babylon a level of cultural morality that I think has somewhat receded from today's culture. Um, Like I already said, the 1950s is a bygone era. And so while I'm not saying that everyone was Christian then, I do think more vestiges of Christian influence still remained in the general consciousness of society. So Randy is not a Christian hero, but he does have this sense of morality that I think he's just absorbed from his era. Um, There's this conception of decency, uh, of gentlemanliness that he has, which makes him at least sympathetic and 
somewhat respectable, even though he is kind of a heathen. Um, he is, interestingly, one of the least racist characters in the novel, which is a whole topic that I won't try to get into. 1959, remember? So, anyway, I think Randy is an intriguing example of someone with non-Christian 1950s morality. He's also, I think, a little unrealistic, possibly. Um, for instance, he seems to have a drinking problem at the beginning of the story, but then inexplicably doesn't later on. But I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's somehow part of the, the bygone morality that I don't understand. I'm not sure. Either way, if you read this book, just don't expect deep characters and profound themes that can change your life. But instead, I would suggest, as you read, considering in what ways our cultural sense of morality has shifted since this book was published, and whether that shift has been for the better or for the worse. So, that is Alas Babylon. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion today. And if you have any questions or thoughts about this novel, feel free to message me on Facebook or Instagram. You will find those links in the episode description. Thank you for listening. And if you plan to tune in again next week, the book we will be reviewing on May 5th is Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein. If you have not yet read this classic, you need to. I can almost guarantee it will blow your mind a little bit in that it is completely unlike what most of us imagine it is before we read it. Um, it's a classic for good reason, and I'm excited to talk more about it in next week's episode. As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you can learn more about me and my writing at kittywayandproductions.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.